Dave. We're talking to Tayson from Outdoor Vitals, uh, which is a company based out of uh, is it Utah. Is that correct? Yep, Southern Utah. Southern Utah. And how long have you guys been in business? Uh, a little over four years now. Okay. And you've got a pretty interesting story as to how you started this company. Um, if, I, if I read correctly, you started this endeavor with only $500.00. And now you're competing with all the big boys in the industry. So how did that come about and, and what drove you to get into the ultralight uh, world of the outdoor adventuring? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I started the company right as I was finishing college and, and while I was in college, I, I was, uh, really, really interested in just online commerce, things like that. And I started working for this company that was doing the same things and, um, wanted to kind of take what I learned there and applied it to, um, an industry that I have a lot of passion in, which was which was the outdoors. And so, um, at that time, I just kind of came across an opportunity where I could get started for less and and get the sales and everything like that. And, and that actually was Amazon. It was at that point in time, Amazon was a was a pretty good stepping stone for us. And that's that's exactly how I saw it as the way I could you know potentially get things rolling and and then build off of that. And so back then, I had five hundred bucks and. Uh, I put it down on on samples and uh, got got samples from these different factories for for sleeping bags, uh, particularly down sleeping bags is what we were trying to do is, is bring down sleeping bags in that were more affordable than, than the, you know three four to five hundred dollars sleeping bags that that I was hmm. looking to buy at that point in my life and uh, got those in. Kind of decided which one I liked the most, which factory uh, we liked the most, and and uh, from there, I mean, I, I literally sold that sample. Took that money and bought more and, and, uh, just kept reinvesting, reinvesting. And like I say, I mean, we started four, well, it's about four and a half years ago now, but really, really humble beginnings. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> like I say, it was, it was a lot of reinvesting. I, I, I stayed full time at, at my job, um, you know, during the daytime and, and just kept, kept growing this thing and kept reinvesting and, uh, putting everything I had into the business to, to keep it rolling, uh, forward. I see. So, so when you're starting out with the sleeping bag, is that kind of your niche to get going, and then you you expanded from there? That's correct. Yeah, we started okay. with sleeping bags, and then we just kind of wanted to expand that more into, you know, the big three your your pack system, shelter system, and sleep system. Um, mm-hmm. Still have a lot more we can do in those areas, but um, that was kind of the the goal after we got through launching and, and felt good about some of our sleep systems. Okay. And so uh, how how is it that you're able to compete with these other large manufacturers? Because I'm on your website and your your products look incredible and the pricing is, is great. So is there a particular business strategy or like a mindset that you had when you started Outdoor Vitals to where you could bring these quality products to the mass consumer market for a more affordable price? Absolutely. Um, so a big thing for me was, was – uh, just trying to stay more nimble than them. So I looked at these companies as, as like our parents' companies, our, our grandparents' companies. Some of these companies, I mean, they're, they're 40 plus years old. And mm-hmm. when you've got a company that age and that size, they're going to be slower moving and they're going to have different strategies for, for their marketing. You know, they're, they're, they're more awareness marketing, whereas we can, we can do things differently. So, uh, we've been, we, we do things differently, such as, um, when I got started, YouTube was, was, was a really, hot item at that point and so we started running ads on youtube we started doing youtube videos and well that's that's a hard thing i was looking at the industry and it's like you know if we can get over five thousand subscribers on youtube channel we essentially are in the 90th percentile for all companies doing this 
Oh, and wow. so I can I can make people feel like they they know me and like me and, and can see the products, but I can go and produce out of the same factories as these other companies, and and make it feel like they get the price of of a company that has big buying power and 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 big opportunity like that, but they get to have that personal connection with me. So I mean, in short, we're trying to build the next you know North Face Arteryx, um, but but do it online, direct to consumer only, and, and basically do it. For the next generation. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I think your your prices are phenomenal. And one thing that I found in in my travels is that you know I'll think like, oh, I need this piece of gear, and then I'll go look at whatever it may be, and not knowing what the price is, and it, it might be three, four, five hundred dollars. Whereas you know, young people that are looking to get into backcountry adventuring, you know, the ultralight gear can be very expensive. I've seen quilts and hammocks and other things that are just way overpriced. And I think the barrier to entry for some of those individuals, that might be cost prohibitive for them to try to go out and do this stuff. But your company is able to bring the prices at a much lower, um, much more affordable uh, price elasticity, I guess, if you will, for these younger folks that are graduating from college. And, you know, they're they're stretched thin because they may have student loan debt or they may have – you know, other things that we're trying to get started with their with their careers. And so one thing that, that – that was one thing when I got on your website that I noticed that your, your products are very well-priced, and I think that's a, really attractive for the younger people that are looking to get into this. So um, no, I, a, I definitely resonate with that. I, I mean, I started this company while I was in college and had no money, and I started it out of that need. It's like I can't afford a $400 down sleeping bag. So that's always yeah. been a part of us is just, just having as honest the prices as we can and um, – Yes, I mean you're you're always going to see us with with straightforward direct to consumer pricing and on our website for that very reason. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'd love to chat with you guys with you about the new adventure jacket that you have coming out. I I, I looked at your Kickstarter campaign and I was thoroughly impressed that you guys have already raised as of this morning almost well just a little over four hundred thousand dollars for the Lost Tech adventure jacket. So. Explain a little bit about what that is. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with that with that type of jacket. I've, I've had from other manufacturers in the past. Um, I've, I've dealt with similar ones that are extremely warm and, and light. But what is it about Loft Tech um, that is unique, and, and how does that relate to outdoor adventuring? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell a story that kind of explains the need and where this fits in. Um, so last year, like, I, I, and this kind of applies to a lot of my backpacking experiences, but last year I was out in Colorado in November and I was backpacking and it was just terrible weather. Uh, it was, it was super windy and it was snowing. So just this sideways snow. And it was like that for about four straight days. Um, but I was hiking and moving and, and doing different things in the meantime. And so I brought a synthetic jacket and I brought a down jacket. Um, <clears throat> but I wasn't able to ever use my down jacket. And the reason for that is is I was layering up, right? So I had a soft shell on the outside and, and then I had a synthetic jacket on the inside. But if I wanted to put my down jacket on, uh, I couldn't wear it on the outside because there was so much snow that it would have wet out. And I couldn't wear it on the inside because as soon as I started hiking up a hill or doing different things like that, I'd start to sweat. Mm-hmm. And so essentially this down jacket just lived in my backpack. And I couldn't, you know, I, I just packed it around and, and never got to wear it except for if I pulled it out, like, as I'm getting in my sleeping bag or, or different things at night when I'm sitting around camp and, and I'm not being active and the elements aren't a factor. Um, but on the other hand, the synthetic jacket, I could I could live in that jacket. Um, you know, if I it was more breathable, I could sweat in it a little bit and the insulation doesn't fail. 
Um, you know, if it did get a little bit of moisture on it, it wouldn't fail. And so, um, and this is an experience I've had over and over. Obviously, the design process for this, this the loft check jacket was taking place even before this experience. But it's a good one to highlight um, kind of those downfalls of down. Um, but the problem was with that synthetic jacket is it's bigger, it was heavier, and, and, and more bulky. So if I wanted to stuff that into my backpack, it took up more space. And, um, you know, comparatively, it was almost double the weight of my down jacket and, and different things like that. And so um, the goal, goal of ours for a while now has been to find, you know, that, that product that can be as light and compact as a down jacket but not have the failure points of a down jacket, which is, you know, breathability and, and failing when it gets wet. Um so the loft tech jacket is essentially that. Um, we've, we tested a lot of insulations from big companies and tested other jackets that other, you know, companies are putting out that are, you know, they're kind of making similar claims and just never liked any of those insulations. And about a year ago, over a year ago now, we, we found this, this new insulation company that was just starting. They're actually a, a machine manufacturing company, and they developed this machine. Instead of sell it to their original clients, um, which are some of these big, big clients around the world, they said, why don't we just start an insulation company? Like, this is a groundbreaking, you know, game-changing insulation. Why don't we start this insulation company? And uh, fortunately for us, being a smaller, more nimble company, we were able to get in with them first, test it, you know, be some of their preliminary testing, give them feedback, get, you know, IDFL reports on this for fill power, um, and bring it to market before anyone else. Um, so essentially... This is the first time this insulation has ever seen the market, and it's a it's an imitation down. It looks like down. It acts like down. It's a loose, still nature-like down. Like it falls apart like little down plumes and everything, mm-hmm. um, but you get it wet, and the water drains out of it because it's all siliconized, and it, and it doesn't collapse. It'll stay lofted, oh, you know, when it's soaking wet. And that so that's going to be great. Right. It, it you can kind of see going back to that story, it would have been a perfect jacket for a scenario like that. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've found in my winter camping endeavors, it's like the down's great, but like you said, you hike in it a little bit, you sweat like crazy. If it gets wet, it clumps up, and then it does, it's ineffective. And I, I, it was more of like a jacket just to be warm in. I, it wasn't a jacket that I could go out and actually go hiking in or go do a strenuous things or go harvest firewood or whatever it may be. And so that's... That's that's a that's an excellent product that you guys are bringing to market. It's kind of counterintuitive, right? Like like most people that are using down, they're using down because they want it to be super light and super compact because they're backpackers. But backpackers mm-hmm. are active, and so it almost conflicts by nature because you. And, and for those of you that don't know, you know the reason you sweat in a down jacket, besides it being a warm jacket, is the coatings on the fabric are also um, coated to keep the down in the jacket, and that makes it a little bit less breathable. Um, which will cause you to sweat a little faster. But yeah, they, they kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive that the guys who want the lightest, highest performing gear, um, you know, they also have the biggest problems with the down jacket. Yeah. It's kind of ironic because I, I thought that too. I, I thought I was buying like, you know, the solution for when I was back here and it would be negative 20 or whatever. And, and granted, I'd stay warm, but I mean, like you were saying, I, I go out and, you know, if I go out and chop wood or something like that, I'd have to peel it off. And then I'm like, well, you bought just layer up with like a base layer, a mid layer, and a, and a shell, and that was always what my, what my go-to was because those other jackets just didn't work as well. Um, so, uh, when did this jacket come to market? Yeah, so um, we're going to finish the campaign uh, December fifth, and then uh, we'll be able to get these production line, things lined out. But 
We're planning on delivering to the public right now April, in April. Um, okay. We did get a smaller production booked um, sooner than that, but that is going strictly to people that already follow us. Um, they were the you know the first thousand backers essentially are going to be the ones that that get stuff out of that shipment. So we'll get some feedback on it a little bit sooner than April, but for for people that are ordering now, and I'm going to be delivered in April. Okay, cool. So well, that's awesome, man. I'm I'm definitely interested in trying that out. So I'll, I'll we'll be we'll be chatting about that later. Um, so oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So shifting gears here. So it's outdoor vitals. Um, obviously, the, your tagline is "Live Ultralight," and um, that that gears that's uh, kind of people will think that that's only for backpacking and stuff like that. But you know, we were talking prior, prior to uh, this episode here, and I was explaining how, like in my realm, I, I like to pick up truck camp, and I've been on the road since July of 2015. And once I got out on the road, I realized like all this bulky gear that I carry, it's just cumbersome. You know, I I, I didn't want to be searching through huge sleeping bags or, or, you know, clothing items or, or quilts or whatever it may be. Um, so I, I kept on going smaller and smaller, and, and, and I basically converted all my gear to ultralight. And I wanted to let people know that are listening in, like, you don't have to be like these crazy, you know, long-distance backpacking individuals that, that count ounces. You know, it's like this, this gear actually applies to everyone. And um, just because some gear is ultralight, some people in their mind might think, like, well, I'm compromising something. But that's not the case. Is that correct? I mean, you, you've been in this business now, you said, over, for over four years. And I think the quality of ultralight gear is just as good as any other gear out there. It's sometimes a lot better. No, yeah, that's, that's exactly how – I mean, you basically are living one version of, of what, you know, live ultralight means to us. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what I actually link ultralight to is, is premium. Um, if something is lighter and more compact and, you know, but still performs with, at the same level, essentially that's, that's an ultralight product and, and that's a more premium product and, and usually a more expensive product to, to purchase. But, um, no, I totally agree with you because basically what I've found and, and kind of where the messaging for Outdoor Vitals comes for right now is it doesn't matter if you're, you're a backpacker, whether you're someone who just likes to travel the world, you know, like, you know, fly international and, traveling around Asia, whether you live out of your truck, um, it's always more advantageous to have, you know, one quality jacket over two less quality jackets. It's always better to have, um, you know, lighter, smaller, more compact things to fit into your truck or your backpack or whatever you're taking than it is to have, you know, bigger, more bulky um, item, especially if the performance is the same. Um, so so that aspect of, of living ultralight, I mean, um, you know, whatever adventure you like, you know, whether it's, like I say, all of those different options, um, having that ultralight more premium product is, is going to be better. Um, mm-hmm. That minimalist lifestyle, I guess, is, is also a part of that ultralight aspect is, you know, if you buy, say hypothetically you go to Walmart or, or discount store, let's say, and you buy, you know, a jacket there, um, you know, it might wear out faster or it might not perform as well. So then you end up buying two jackets. And essentially over time what ends up happening is, you start throwing away more jackets than if you would have just bought one quality one to begin with. And so um, that's kind of the other side of this is we can have less of an impact um, the more that we can get premium gear into people's hands instead of gear that's going to wear out, break, or just not function. Um, mm-hmm. you know, typically, if you were to go to like the more premium side of this market, that gear typically works in more situations than than one situation. It works in more situations than in the lower-end gear. It's got more flexibility or versatility as well, which helps you to also simplify 
and not having duplicate items of gear and, and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. the vulture light. I mean, it's it's a. I think it really does apply to everyone. Yeah, I, I, and I totally agree with you with what you said about you know investing good quality gear, and you only have to buy it once. Whereas if you bought um, a, a lesser quality coat or whatever it may be, you may replace it two, three, or four times over the life of what would be with that premium product. And um, I think it's Alfred Wainwright that said there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad gear. <laughs> and totally. I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer of that, especially now since I've been out in four-season weather, you know, year-round for the last um, – going on almost four years now. Once you have the good gear, you can pretty much weather – and no, no pun intended. You could pretty much weather any weather, <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> right. and, uh, and it's all about the knowledge of, of how to operate in these areas. But the gear these days that's coming out is, is so technologically far advanced compared to even just 10 years ago, what, what people had. And uh, the price now, like uh, especially on your products, that's, that's what I think is, is super um, attractive about your company, the Live Ultralight uh, motto. And uh, you know, just getting people introduced to this. It's like invest in the good gear and you, and you only have to buy it one, one time for, you know, maybe in the next five or ten years or whatever it may be, depending on the usage, and uh, go from there. So um, just switching gears here, I wanted to ask you, like, what, what got you involved in the backcountry just overall, just as far as your um, recreation activities? Did, did you grow up in a real active family, or was it something that you grew yeah. into as you, as you got older? Yeah, so I grew up, like you say, in southern Utah, and the city I grew up in was, uh, there's only about 7,000 people. And so, I mean, just, just living outside is probably what you did, you know. Um, mm-hmm. There wasn't much to do in the city. So I spent a lot of time um, in the outdoors. My family's also very active. They're hunters and fishers. And, and so I spent a lot of time not doing that. And we had, we had ATVs um, and, and then just hiking. And so I was involved in Boy Scouts as well and spent a lot, a lot of time outdoors. And as I got older and, and started to basically move out of the house and started buying my own stuff, you know, I started to, to really see this more premium gear and how much more enjoyable it would make my outdoor experiences. Because for some reason, even though I froze my butt off and, I mean, who knows how cold and, and different, I mean, using trash bags for, for ponchos and, you know, all these different things that I would put myself through, um, I still love the outdoors for some reason. And I started to see, you know, and learn more about this gear. And I was like, holy cow, like this gear changes everything. It makes, you know, it makes the outdoors so much more enjoyable. And so I started to get really interested in it, buying different products that I could afford at that time. And, and essentially, you know, I was like, wow, if I could take these products and deliver them to more people, you know, through a direct to consumer price point so that they're 40 to 50% less than, than retail stores, how many more people could enjoy the outdoors, you know? And so that's yeah. really the goal is to, to get more people outdoors and to help more people enjoy the outdoors so that, you know, we can protect them more and, and, and you know, keep that, that culture going through totally. it. But, you know, one of my biggest cringes that I hear, you know, the, the counter side of that is sometimes I'll go to, like, a trade show and I'll be talking to, let's say, let, uh, there's a couple talking to me and I'll be talking to the guy and he's looking at a sleeping bag and, and I'll be like, well, you know, if you get this one, they pair together. If you two are backpacking or whatever you're doing together, and you know the wife or the partner would be like, "No, there's no way I'll do that again." Now, last time I went, I froze. You know, and oh, I yeah. hear that and I just cringe. You know, I'm just like, "Oh man," you know, it's, it wasn't it wasn't the weather. It was just you. You know, yeah. You're probably sleeping on an air mattress with no insulation, and you're sleeping <laughs> exactly. In a That's the weather. Exactly. For- death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's you know, there's all these things that they could have done. <laughs> 
there, there's all these things they could have done wrong, and now she's not going to get to enjoy, you know, how amazing the outdoors is and nature and waking up, you know, in a tent and looking outside, and she's not going to get to enjoy those things because of that experience. And so I just cringe when I hear that. And my, yeah. I guess my mission that fuels me is to, to, to help more people enjoy it regardless of the weather. Well, that's cool, man. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. I've heard people say the same thing, like, I'd never go winter camp again. I'm like, come out with me and I'll show you just how comfortable it can be. And then it's awesome because there's no one out here, you know, and it snows really, it snows a bunch up in the, up in the mountains and all the, all the big herds come down. You see herds of elk, you know, numbering in the hundreds and same with like pronghorn antelope and deer and everything. And it's just, a, it's a totally different experience than, than being out in the summer. And that's, you know, I'm, I, I'm thankful the gear is good enough these days to allow me to do this comfortably. So, um, I saw on your website when you were younger, you spent a couple of years in Malaysia. So I did. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, what was that? What was that about? And, and, um, I, I see now that that's, that's, you've got part of your business that helps those in need in developing countries. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, I'm LDS. I'm, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so, um, I went and did volunteer work in, in Malaysia and in Singapore for a couple of years. Uh, when I was 20, around that age. And, uh, anyway, so being over there though, it really opened my eyes just to, to how lucky we were to be born in, in America and different things and developed a, a deep love for the people there. And, um, when I came back, you know, the thought was, my first thought was, man, if I could build a business big enough, maybe we could build a factory there. And these people would just be ecstatic to work like five days a week, you know, or yeah. even if it's 10 hour days still, you know, they would be ecstatic to work five days a week instead of six or seven and to be able to put their kids, you know, into, into school and to do these types of things. And so, you know, I had, I kind of had that, that dream initially and maybe one day that'll happen, but, um, we're not quite to the point where we can have a whole factory and, and manage that. But, um, nonetheless, though, it really made me realize just how lucky we are to be in the United States. And, you know, these people aren't different. They just, were born somewhere else and so yep. um and they don't have those same opportunities so we uh we give back one percent of revenue um into developing countries and so far the primary resource that we've been donating through is a company called charity water and, and so we look for things that are more sustainable so charity water they build um or dig wells for for these communities to provide clean water which helps uh a lot with with health and, and different things like that, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of a side conversation, how much these people fear sicknesses um, just because they don't have the same access of of uh, medicine that we do. But um, but a well, you know, has, has a much more long, longer uh, lifespan and life cycle than some other things. But, yeah, we just look for, for different projects that we can do to, to give back to these third world countries and, and uh, you know, try to help them as well. And, and – <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, you can go a little bit deeper even into the manufacturing side, why we do manufacture out of the United States. It's kind of a different take on it just from living out there. Um, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, that's essentially, I mean, I, I just, wherever they're from or wherever people are from, um, you know, if we can help them and have a bigger impact, then mm-hmm. we're going to try to do that. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, when I was a young, uh, young man growing up in Kansas, I, I grew up in the Midwest, and I was involved in church as well, and so we would we would go on these different uh trips just to help out in different areas of the world and so we go down to mexico quite often and i and i thought the same thing i'm like heck i'm, I'm meeting these, these guys and gals are the same age that i am it's just we're born and we're just born on a different patch of soil 
And why is it that my country has so much more advantages than this one when they're just worried about, like, like you said, like drinking water or access to healthcare or things like that? But what was really cool is like we'd be out and about, and then I'd I'd talk with whoever was there and be like, "Does anybody want to go for a hike?" And they're like, "Yeah," and like they, you know, they they knew all the hiking trails around there to go on. I'm like, these folks are just like I am. It's just it's a different part of the world. And so it, traveling like that really opened my eyes to um, number one, just how beneficial it is to you know be born in the United States. I mean, heck, we got it we got it made here. But then also, there are people that love doing adventuring just like we did from different, all different walks of life. And, uh, so it's cool to be, you know, that you're doing that to help out with, with, um, you know, the developing countries and, and eventually wanting to do a, a manufacturing facility down there. Um, when you mentioned about how you manufacture the materials, I am interested in learning about that because I don't know anything about, uh, you know, how the materials are made and, and how you, you know, develop them into products and all that stuff. But, I'd love to hear your take on why you manufacture outside of the United States. Yeah, so, well, <laughs> you threw two questions in there right at the end. But um, as far as, like, the manufacturing side of things, um, I think a lot of people, like, like at least I kind of grew up thinking this way, but you'd look at, let's say, a company like Patagonia, and you'd think, oh, they, they're manufacturing these items. They own a factory. They own the fabric factory. They own the insulation factory, you know, and they're manufacturing the whole process. But... But really, it's it's not that way. You know, they're they're working with these factories. They're working close to to develop things and to work on things and to release things. But um, you know, they have twenty factories they work with. You know, and they they meet certain standards and and quality and you know quality control and different things like that. But um, they don't actually own these factories. So essentially, what we've been able to do, especially as we've gotten bigger and bigger, we've been able to connect, make more and more connections inside the industry and. Uh, and manufacturing these same facilities, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, our products are coming off the same sewing line as, as some of these very, very expensive and, and long-term um, companies. So aside from that, though, I mean, it is cool that the, the more we get to build relationships with these people, the more we get the opportunities to, you know, develop new things and have things developed more specifically for us, um, mm-hmm. which has been a, a really, really cool situation for us. But Speaking on the other side of, of kind of why we manufacture out of the country, um, it, it goes along kind of that same thing that I was just talking about. Where um, so recently, like I was, I was just over in China visiting some factories, and and uh, one of the coolest things to watch and to notice is that when you go through these factories, there's not young people working in these factories. Um, you know, like like I think you know back back in a few years ago, there's all these you know, bad things that came out about kids working in factories and, and different things like that. And and that's that's not the experience that I saw at all. What I saw was older people working in factories and the younger people were working the more skilled jobs, right? They're working in the airports and the hotels. They're working, you know, IT, they're working in the relationship side. Um, all these different, you know, more skilled professions. And and as as I got talking with the factory owner, um, and I was kind of talking about that among other things, he was saying, you know, there's a labor shortage in China because no one wants to work in a factory anymore. And, I mean, that kind of sounds like a country we both know well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, no one wants to go work in a factory anymore. They want a better job than that. But what happened essentially is, is China's gone through their industrial revolution where, you know, in, essentially in one generation, people finally had j- good, stable jobs, and they were able to put their kids through school. And now those kids go through school. They're not going to go work in a factory. They have an education. And one generation, that manufacturing changed the lives 
of of everyone after that in that country. Um, I didn't realize that. And, and yeah, and it's so cool. And like I say, if you don't, you know, just like China, let's say, if you if you realize like these are people and they're they're really good people, some of the best people, um, then then you realize how impactful that is. So. Actually, our, our factory, that same factory I was just talking about, they've actually started to shift a lot of their production to Bangladesh. And when I was in Malaysia, I met uh, quite a few people from Bangladesh, and they were the poorest people I'd ever met. You know, I mean, just no literacy rates, no, you know, no, uh, I mean, they just, they have the shirt on their back, essentially. And so I was so excited to actually hear that, because what that means is they're employing, you know, thousands of people in Bangladesh now. And those people are going to be able to start putting food on the table and and start allowing their children to go attend school. And in one generation, you know, literacy rates are going to quadruple. And, you know, those kids are going to be able to have a, an entirely different life forever. And, you know, and it's going to change awesome. their kids and future generations and so on and so forth. And, and, and aside from that, there's a lot of things tied to things like literacy rates, um, wars and crime rates and, you know, just all these these negative things are directly tied to literacy rates. So even though, you know, some companies kind of brag about, about manufacturing in the U.S., I personally like to brag that we're not manufacturing in the U.S. and that our impact is, is great in that way. That's, that's awesome. I didn't, I didn't realize all that, that, you know, with the industrial revolution in, in China, that, that has taken just one generation for them to just fully slam through it. I didn't think about the impact of their children being able to go to school and, uh, you know, furthering themselves with, with more of an education. So that's, that's incredible. Um, right. so, so going forward, so you've got this, this jacket coming out and, um, you know, obviously you're focused on, on the outdoor industry. What, what do you see, where do you see outdoor vitals in say five, 10 years from now? Is there, is there anything else that you guys are wanting to tackle going forward or is it, um, like what's your vision for that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have a lot of ambition here. We love what we do and we'd love to see us have more of an, more and more of an impact, but, um, for us, you know, the, the thing for us is we want to keep everything private. We don't want to touch, touch venture capital or give up any portion of the company. We want to keep it small, like family owned so that we can, because we feel like if we can do that, we can make the best decisions for our customers. So instead of focusing on like next quarter's profits or, or, or different things like that, we can focus on like, you know, 10 years, you know, recreating the most value for our customers in the future in five years, 10 years and things like that. Um, but keeping that in mind, we're trying to grow, you know, as fast as we can. And, and, and one day we hope to, to be, you know, named with some of those really, really big brands that everyone does know. Um, this jacket is the first apparel item I've released. And I, I do expect that we will be, you know, furthering our, our apparel lines and things like that. But, you know, we've got the ball rolling here and, and hopefully it'll, we'll just be able to keep the momentum up and keep it rolling faster and faster. And, and provide more products of, of what our customers are looking for. Right on. Well, that's, that's great, man. I, I definitely applaud you for what you're doing and for your ambition. And um, I think you guys are definitely on the right track here. I, like I said, the ultralight gear has changed my life, and uh, especially with how I travel and traveling full-time like I have. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to testing out some of your guys' gear and kind of seeing what you're all about going forward and, and following your guys' story. So. Um, well, I, I, really I think we appreciate it. Yeah, you bet, man. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast today. I think uh, I think we've got a good episode here for the for the audience. And um, your website is outdoorvitals.com. So for anybody interested in looking at 
the products that they offer for the outdoor community and for beyond, then go there and check it out on their shop. And there's the link for the for the jacket in there as well that you said is coming out in, in April. And uh, I think that's going to be a game changer. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that's received by the industry. Yeah, no, we'll definitely have to get you a jacket. Um, I might be able to sneak you on a little earlier than the general public and okay. get a little more feedback to us. <laughs> that'd be awesome, man. I could put in some videos and, and get, you, get you guys a good review right out of the gate. So I'd be, I'd be happy to do that. So, um, yeah, All right, I, if I give it to you, I know it'll get used a lot. So oh, I'll be out yeah, there living, I'll, living what we stand for. So Yeah, I'll be out there every day. So it'd, be, <laughs> it'd definitely be put to good use. So, well, anyway, uh, Jason, thanks, thanks a lot for taking time out of your schedule today to talk with me, and, and I really appreciate it and uh, letting us know about your company. Yep, appreciate it. It's good All being right, here. All right, we'll talk to you later.